As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We have a full house of Carl, Andy and Laurie together to reflect on that defeat for Manchester United against Fulham on Saturday. We've got a little bit to round up on Eric Ten Hag's future and also an FA Cup tie against Nottingham Forest, which feels pretty important now, to be fair, as well. So, good morning, gentlemen. Carl, you were at Old Trafford, which usually is a good thing. I don't know if it was on... On Saturday or not, so I'll speak to you in a moment about things. But Andy, I'm guessing from your pictures you weren't at the Theatre of Dreams. No, I wasn't. I was in Africa, mate. Of course. As you do. Yeah, I was in Tunisia. I went to write about a game between two of the biggest clubs in Africa, so I watched the match on uh, Arabic TV. I arrived at my hotel an hour before kickoff in Tunis, and um, I'm thinking, I've got to see the match, I've got to see the match. And the guy in reception said Manchester Fulham. So I thought, result, put it on. It's all in Arabic. Don't quite speak Arabic, but I could get a gist of what they were saying. And it was not complimentary whatsoever. No. About Manchester United. But I could see it with my own eyes. We we all could. So, yeah, it was an interesting place. Football's big there. Crazy fans, great atmosphere. I've been on the road for four days. I've been in Switzerland, Germany, Holland, bits of Manchester United related stuff as well. I'm happy as Larry me, mate, travelling around on a train around Europe. Yeah. I bump into interesting people. I met a German um, weather forecaster on a train the other day. I was talking to her, she was dead interesting, so I missed my stop in Arnhem. I wanted to go off at Arnhem to see a bridge too far, but I ended up in Utrecht, which is really beautiful. This is it. I saw, I saw you in Utrecht and I went, oh, you're doing a big Ten Hag read because obviously he used to manage No, there, Carl is on so. a train. Talking to no, I stayed in. Yeah, I went to I went to watch Utrecht. It'll, it'll all become clear, boys. I mean, the type of journalism I'd like to do if we have the time is I like to meet people face to face. I put a lot of effort into doing that. I think the Athletic always encourages that type of stuff if possible. And if I'm on a train, Europe's amazing because you've got all these beautiful cities, really well connected. You're traveling this time of year. It's not particularly expensive. Open up your computer. You can write away. I watched Eintracht Frankfurt the other night. I was on this mad terrace full of ultras. You're not allowed to take a picture. 
no videos, big signs as you walked in. So what are you can do for take a picture? You're gonna you're gonna batter me because I'm saying nice things about the atmosphere here. Okay, just just be discreet. Okay then. <laughs> but I don't, that was good. And I went to another game. Did you see Donny Van der Beek? In theory, he um, plays for Eintracht Frankfurt, doesn't he? But in theory, he played for Manchester United as well. So obviously, he didn't play on Thursday night as Eintracht Frankfurt crashed out of the uh, European competition that they were in. Yeah, Donny didn't even make the squad. Uh, there was an apology for it as well. It's uh, We'll get to it in another episode about some of these loanies, I think. Yeah, sounds like an international break topic, maybe. Yeah, uh, Frankfurt, underrated say. Might do a piece on underrated European cities. Utrecht would qualify. Turin would definitely qualify. Not just about the um, the tourist traps. So yeah, I might investigate more into these areas. Carry on, boys. This is nice, Laurie, because it takes our mind off what was a pretty abject Saturday, really, wasn't it? I know. How much longer can we keep going with this so that we don't actually have to talk about what we witnessed at Old Trafford? Yeah, no, I think we probably have to get in there, don't we, given the podcast is about Manchester United, not Andy's travels around Europe, which, as delightful well, know, as they sound... I don't know what is the podcast about. Yeah, no, it was, it's, it was a long tangent to start the whole thing. I mean, Andy's tangents are obviously part of the selling point of this pod, but um, I guess we do have to discuss the football at some stage. Yeah. Carl, you were there, so you, you can obviously uh, give us the kind of full appreciation of, of that performance but uh, yeah it wasn't good was it United have ridden their luck haven't they in the last few games and the luck ran out against a, a pretty well drilled Fulham team which had players missing it wasn't even like it was a full strength Fulham team six changes that team yeah mm-hmm. I mean Muniz is a really good striker isn't he? he he's obviously coming through nicely for them sort of physicality that he's got and, and the smarts that he's got but yeah for United to they show character I do agree with that I think they, they tried just props the quality isn't there really and, and the, the rhythm isn't there but to get back level and then go and lose the game is really bad. The only thing I would say on that, I suppose, is that Tenag doesn't really draw often, does he? So he, he would will try and win a game, um, knowing that that's much more valuable than drawing it, and and that obviously brings the jeopardy of potentially losing it. But it did feel, you know, a, a real sucker punch to have got level and then to actually go and lose the game. I think Gary Neville stunned Tenag a massive favour by calling Chelsea blue billionaire bottle jobs. Because a lot of the conversation this morning on watching Sky Sports News and everything else is all about Chelsea and not about how Manchester United have given up 100 shots on their goal in the last five games. Eric Ten Hag has cited injury and will cite injury. And he was asked after the Fulham game about the fact that it's a year run from the League Cup triumph and the team hasn't improved. And he sort of gave a, you know why the team hasn't improved. But... What you're seeing is the same 20 to 30 minutes of frantic football where midfield is just completely bypassed and it's deeply concerning. The way Eric Ten Hag wants to play football works, air quote, asterisk, footnote, if you have two or three individuals in key areas of the field that are going to win their one-on-one battles. This is why Luke Shaw is so important because he wins his one-on-one battles and he's better than the other opposite man when it comes to progressing the ball. This is why Casemiro last season was so important because when the counter-attack was on, Casemiro found a way to be you know, putting in an elbow or drop a play without getting a booking. This is why Lissandro Martinez is so important because when that counter-attack happens, Martinez is the one to shoot out the back four to put in a tackle and win the ball back. And I watched that Fulham goal. It starts from a throw-in in the Fulham half and the ball bobbles around a bit and Adolmo Traore just barges off Christian Eriksen who has become a physical non-entity to be really mean about. He cannot tackle. He cannot 
stop a player who's barreling through towards goal. And then he got an extra half yard on Harry Maguire. And Maguire, bless him, he had a pretty good game on Saturday, but he was never going to catch up to Traore in full flight. So then you're on the back foot and the ball gets switched over to Awobi and he had so much space to get the ball on his right foot and have the shot. The reaction of three of the attacking players when that Fulham winner went in was quite telling. Bruno Fernandes was jumping up and down, saying words to the effect of, for F's sake. Garnacho just completely collapsed to the floor. Marcus Rashford slumped down and his hands were on his knees. and the, So they were all absolutely gutted that this goal had come in. But also... I can't tell you Manchester United deserved to win that game. They didn't. Fulham were good right from the start. And th- again, it wasn't a one-off. This is this is re- repeat behaviour that we're seeing. And when we heard on Friday that Hoyland was going to play... Was not going to play, yeah. I think everyone thought, oh no. Absolutely, it popped the bubble, didn't it, really? It totally did. And on top of Luke Shaw, on top of Martinez, you can't go to your backup strikers because Anthony Martial is... It's never available to, to play and your confidence in beating a team like Fulham drops a bit. But still, Fulham had won one game away from home. Their, their away record really poor. And as the lads have said, they were also missing players, but they were the better team throughout. Marco Silva, he was asked a tactical question about midfield in his press conference afterwards. And he explained what Fulham did differently. So, you know, we didn't we didn't have Yao Palinia. So a lot of the game plan was dropping Andreas Pereira deeper in the pivot to sit next to Harrison Reed. And Alex Rowe would come in a bit tighter to make sure they won that midfield battle. That was really important to Fulham. Was if you're if you're really strong in the middle, you force United out wide. And United right now, when you've got Victor Lindelof at left back and, and you've got Garnacho at left wing, that partnership doesn't really work because Lindelof doesn't really want to cross the halfway line. And on the right hand side, Dallow's improved a lot, but you have Amari Forsen at right wing, and he has a lot of nice touches in the first fifteen minutes, but is a teenager and there were two or three times when a Fulham defender just went, all right, I'm just going to push you over because I'm a lot stronger than you. Rashford, we've seen his struggles at centre forward. Uh, I know two or three times where he was trying to play with his back towards goal against Calvin Bassey. That's exactly what Calvin Bassey wants. He relishes that sort of battle. So Rashford was largely anonymous as well. Just completely nullified. Couldn't get through the middle. Nothing out wide. Uh, and any balls over the top weren't going to be collected by any of those front three. So United were defanged. The, the Rashford thing really didn't work, did it? I mean, he, he just no. is he's a left winger and you got a brilliant contrast of Muniz with Rashford in terms of Muniz wanted that physical contact. He wanted to feel the defender and then bully them like Hoyland has been doing for United. You know, that, that hold-up play at Luton was such a crucial element in United having those counter-attacks second half and, and being able to break. You just don't get that with Rashford. He's just not that kind of player. And I think that then just meant that all United attacks didn't really have that potency that you'd like and, and I agree with you on force and I think he's clearly a very technical player uh, and interesting that Tenag chose him ahead of you know Ahmad or even Anthony which we can get a bit more into um, but it just didn't have that drive I suppose that you want from a winger um, you know I thought Garnacho kept trying he was the likely scorer certainly in the first half for United but it just there was no real kind of sense of how United were going to score a goal against Fulham and obviously in the end it was Bruno having a shot parried by Leno and Maguire tapping into an empty net and then United suddenly realised Leno keeps parrying these shots let's just keep shooting from distance and it nearly you know that chaos nearly created another chance or another goal Um, but it does feel like often with United 
even in this run, the goals come from kind of slightly curious situations. So obviously Hoyland benefiting from a mistake at Luton and then a, a kind of shanked shot from Garnacho. The one at Wolves, I guess, is, is really nice play from Maynou, but it's it's an individual moment of brilliance. Um, I would say probably McTominay's at Villa was a good team move. That that was a you know well built up, and obviously Hoyland's goal before that was a, a sort of set piece routine. So there's there's glimmers, I suppose, but quite often it feels like these goals happen just as a spasm of, of kind of event United forcing their way into the box which is great but it's not really a sustainable mode of scoring goals I think Marco Silva has said it on this pod before I think he's, he's an exceptional coach Andreas Pereira is not unhappy at how the way things went at Old Trafford on Saturday there was a feeling among the Fulham players that they played really well in the FA Cup last year at Old Trafford before that sending off before it get, got a bit stupid that they actually deserved to win that game there was a feeling among the Fulham players that they didn't deserve to lose at Craven Cottage in November. Remember with Bruno, mm-hmm. back to the time when Bruno scored goals in, in football matches late on in that match. So they came pretty vengeful and they had a very good tactical plan. Forget about the the, the, the defeat. The way that Manchester United plays really, really worries me. I know that players are missing. But even when the Ten Hag's perfect eleven started the season against Wolves, they were still getting shredded in midfield. And I think if you're watching Manchester United and you're Ineos, you're thinking, is this a man to take the team forward? I think his future is really in play at the moment. And we'd had that good run of five victories. To Jim Ratcliffe reference that, optimism was building partly because of the, the deal being concluded as well. But what a slump on Saturday. I was watching from afar. I wasn't in the stadium. So I'm not best to comment on what the reaction was from United fans, but you've got to be beating Fulham at home. This team cannot be finishing the season in sixth or seventh, because if if they do, then I worry about Ten Hag's job. But when I watch his teams, I worry about them anyway. The the mid-game management does does not convince me. You could see right from the start, Fulham were dangerous from the first five minutes. You've got 85 minutes to rectify what was going on here. And he said after the game, I'm translating now from, from my Arabic, we missed Casimiro. I'm sorry, I just didn't think Casimiro was playing well. I, d- I disagree with him. He's the football manager, not me, but I know what I saw with my own eyes on a tiny TV in the corner of an African capital city. <laughs> and Casimiro was not was not playing well. This is, this is the really intriguing thing about Den Haag's methodology is that so much of what was good last season was on Casemiro, Martinez, Shaw, Rashford being in, in, in a purple patch. And those players have either been injured or have not been as good as last season for various reasons. And you're right, Casemiro, for the majority of the time he was on the field, was not very good. Part of that is because of the way the midfield is set up and there's just far too much space for Casemiro to cover. And he's 31 years of age and he's trying to run around the place like he's 26. Part of that is is also because Casemiro just I don't want I don't want to say his legs have gone, but he's also just making some really strange decisions on the field. So he goes off fifty second minute due to a clash here to Harrison Reed, bandage full of blood, and as he walks off, goes straight down the tunnel, and your substitute choices are Forson comes off, Bruno Fernandes goes up wide, and Scott McTominay goes in as number ten, uh, and then with Casemiro off, Christian Eriksen goes in to join Maynou in central midfield. Uh, I was next to Pete Rutzler, the, the Fulham and PSG correspondent. And about five minutes after that change, he, he just went to me, your midfield is like a burger without the patty. 
there's no there's no strength to it anymore. We we know when you start Ericsson, he ties after an hour and he's not full of defensive heft. Um, and I think he's really telling. You know, you've got Am- Sofian Amrabat, who is at Manchester United. I want to say largely because of his former playing relationship with Eric Ten Hag. You've got Anthony, who was on the bench and is also there in part because Ten Hag knows him. And it says a lot that at this point in time, neither man was being brought on to solve the situation. Ten Hag can say the Fulham game was lost because there were loads of injuries and injuries have affected the season. However, decisions he's made since basically July have led to this situation. Why don't you have a proper backup to Casemiro? Because the person you thought was going to be the backup has unfortunately not been anywhere near Premier League place. Why was your front three not the way it was? Okay, Hoyland's injured, but also you spent a lot of money for someone on the right-hand side that clearly is just nowhere near good enough. There's one thing being dealt a bad poker hand. He's also playing it quite badly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I think the other thing with the injuries as well, I mean, it's a legitimate concern that you lose sort of key players. You know, Hoyland being lost in training at the end of the week is a massive blow and a late blow, and it's hard to adapt from that. I, I understand that. But Martinez and Shaw have been missing for vast swathes of this season. You can't just say every single week that our important players are injured. I understand that not having a left-back at the moment is particularly unlucky when you consider that, you know, even if Wan-Bissaka was fit, the low would play on that side. Obviously, Malassia has been out for the season as well. But they've had a long time to try and work something out to solve the solution of the problems that that's caused. And... You know, it's still being blamed in, in late February for, for Manchester United having defeats. The shots as well, Carl, you mentioned it before, 100 shots in, what was it, five the last five Premier League games? Mm-hmm. 133 shots in seven matches that Adam Crafton referenced in his tweet over the weekend. 22 against Luton, which was the highest they've ever had in a Premier League game. 23 against Villa, 22 against West Ham, 16 against Wolves, 16 against Tottenham. 17 against Newport. Um, Laurie, is it just me or are you sort of looking ahead at next weekend and thinking, <laughs> oh dear. We're going there already, are we? <laughs> well, I don't want to, but um, when uh, you see that number of shots being conceded against yeah. sides like Newport, Fulham and Luton. Yes, it's, Manchester City will have a lot of shots against Manchester United. I think we can guarantee that. How many, Laurie? 115? They'll have 20 plus, won't they? they you didn't oh, well. get that, did you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was too slow. I started answering the question before he'd finished it with his number. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I watched City at Bournemouth and they they were all right. There was a good first half, but second half, so I'm kind of clinging to that. They're know, all right at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I they're, think not, they're not fully firing, are they? No. But then again, you sort of felt that maybe they weren't fully firing last season and they ended up winning 6-3 in a game that could have been you know 10-1 really. So yeah, it does present a daunting prospect for United. To touch on uh, Carl's points and, and yours, Ian, I think that Ten Hag has got to a stage where he's basically just, it's pragmatic, it's it's an attempt to try and get a result any which way you can. I think style is out the window and yeah, how much sympathy do you give a situation that clearly is 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 from a lack of preparation from, from the whole club? You know, obviously Ten Hag has selected a lot of these players, but, you know, clearly... You know, it's not him sort of writing the check for Anthony, for example. He he wanted a striker that summer. United didn't get him a striker, and then it basically got to the point of the window where he was like, right, I need an attacker, please. And that was the price that they had to pay to Ajax to get Anthony. So, um, and then within that, you know, you got Malassia being out for the whole season. I mean, no one would have predicted that, right? You think okay, we bought a backup left back, yeah. yeah but and the Martinez thing's unlucky, and I suppose the yeah. Luke Shaw thing maybe lesser well, so. But well, this is it. The unlucky. Luke Shaw and the Hoyland things. How much luck is there? Because obviously they're muscle yeah. injuries. Could you? I don't know how it is in training in the week. You know, is there any chance of just reducing that to keep them protected? Tenag will probably rightly say, well, you know, you need to train at intensity so that you're ready for a game. You know, we're, we're forever told about the stories under Sir Alex Ferguson where training was the hardest part of the week for the players. So, you know, are you really going to ease up on the uh, the intensity just so that, you know, you can kind of wrap somebody in cotton wool? Um, it, but it was, it, it felt ahead of the game and really interesting uh, dynamic because you had the press conference on Friday where it was revealed, you know, just before we went in that Hoyland was injured. And then the questions start on, well, you know, you've got Anthony Marshall, why didn't you try and sell him? Um, why didn't you buy another striker last summer? And, and Tenard came out fighting. It was pretty combative. He was saying, you're naive to think that we could have signed a striker as well as Hoyland last summer. You're naive to think that, you know, you could basically push Anthony Marshall to the sidelines because he's on a lot of money. You know, that was the first time he's kind of said that in such blunt terms. Um, you know, admitted that uh, Marshall's wage, which we think is about 240 grand a week, you know, basically feeds into, you know, whether he's uh, selected or not and whether United can actually then get somebody else in or not. Um, because basically you can't really sell him because he's, he's not going to go. He's not going to take less money um, at another club. So you have to kind of use him. You, and, and Tenag sort of referenced the fact that actually he was pretty good at Everton and he did bits last season that that were good. So I'm, I'm trying to use him in a, a way. But ultimately it's a very unsatisfactory situation. And this is the kind of thing that, that Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Sir Dave Brailsford need to fix so that you're not plunged into desperation because of one you know calf injury to a 20 year old striker that you know you, you were kind of hoping to integrate into the Premier League in a steady fashion yeah Andy the thing with that as well it, it does feed into some of the comments that Sir Jim Radcliffe made last week we didn't really talk about his opinion on Eric Ten Hag and also his opinion on on transfers for Manchester United moving forward but he did say that he didn't want the focus to be on the manager. He wanted the focus to be on the structure. And he said that, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of good coaches at Manchester United, good managers at Manchester United. They can't all have been poor for the club to have underperformed in the way that they have. So he wanted the focus to be on the way that things were set up above the manager, around the manager. So where do you fall on on this debate? I get that, but the manager has had a huge level of power in the decision-making process since he joined. So you can't comment on the players without commenting on the manager. And because of FFP, your players have almost got to work. And I know signing footballers is not an exact science. Sir Alex Ferguson 
signed enough who didn't work out at all. But when it becomes the majority not working out, that's when it becomes an issue. And if you're going to spend a huge amount on Anthony Santos and it doesn't work out, combine that with Anthony Martial seldom being able to play, suddenly you've got a really complicated um, situation. And I like the fact that he came back and started talking about FFP. You didn't have this in the past. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson could go out and bring in a player. And even last January, a couple of loan signings came in. And he's struggling now, but the signings are also on him. If he had um, a, a sports director with a lot of power, as he had at Ajax, has his normal in most European football clubs, I don't think he would have signed all the players that he ended up bringing into to Manchester United. He's had a huge amount of power, and I know the coach always gets a veto. I know Oli Gunnar always had the veto, but it's not just about that. I know that... They've gone for players, and if you've got three people pushing back against you, even though you might have the final say, it's very difficult when you've got to work with these people every single day. His signings look good a year ago. You know, a year ago, we were walking out of Wembley. It was exactly a year ago. We were all buzzing. We'd seen Manchester United win a, 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 a trophy. Life was good, and it ain't so good now. And Ten Hag's stock has dropped significantly. You live or die by your signings. You live or die by your results as a football manager and results have, have, have not been good enough. That's why I think that he's under pressure and there'll be more scrutiny into the recruitment of which he's played a big part in. Yeah, Carl, the other way of looking at the comments by Sir Jim Radcliffe was they weren't exactly backing Eric Ten Hag either, were they? No, and and I've said on this podcast before that Ten Hag, for better or worse, is an interim manager. He's interviewing for his job right now. This is the concerning thing. I was given the last question at the end of the press conference after Fulham and I said, you keep talking about routines and how hard it has been to get your routines consistent due to all these injuries. And I said, have you ever considered changing your routines or making them easier? And he said, no, because the principles and the routines remain the same. Um, certain players come with different qualities, but the underlying principles are the same thing. And this is why throughout the last couple of weeks, I may have been a negative Nelly on this podcast compared to everyone else because I can't see Ten Hag changing. I can't see Manchester United turning up next week and not being absolutely open in midfield. I can't see Ten Hag fixing this really disjointed front press. I can't see a situation improving down that left-hand side until someone comes back and plays at left-back who isn't Victor Lindelof. United are going to play the same way between now and the end of the season and I don't think that is good enough to make up the however many points between sixth and fourth. Fifth place, all right, maybe. You can have a little joke about Spurs doing an implosion, but you, you're going to need a massive favour from teams outside to catch up. There are too, too many important players are injured. There are too many points to make up. And frankly, there are too few, air quotes, winnable games between now and the end of the season for me to think United are going to finish in the Champions League. It's a real dogfight. And I, I don't know if Ten Hag is unable or unwilling to change a system. I don't think he's being pragmatic. Pragma pragmatism is looking at your squad and going, based on who's available, this is the most effective way to try and get a win. You've not got a, pro you've not got a defensive midfielder who can cover ground. You've not really got a fit striker outside Hoyland. This high-intensity counter-attacking football is getting you done week in, week out. You need to hunker down. And he just doesn't want to do it. So, so what are you saying, Carl? What, what is the solution? Because who can he play at left back? Who can he play up front? That's a, that is a bit of an issue, isn't it? Who, who does he play in central midfield? 
and this is where I'm really sorry, right? I don't, I don't know. I looked at that starting lineup against Fulham and I went, yeah, that's fine. That, that's about right. I couldn't, I was happy with that starting lineup. And the problem now isn't on the starting lineup. The problem is this transition heavy style that he wants to do. So what you're saying is basically just, just defend, just, just have, you know, two banks of four, maybe, you know, back five or something. That, that's, that's the only... I'm not absolving Tenag of, of blame here. Clearly, he's got massive scrutiny on him for the team that he's putting out, for the way perhaps he communicates in training, for the kind of, you know, just environment that he creates. But I would also say that I think he's, he's trying to do things the right way in terms of instilling, you know, that kind of discipline and, and what have you. But I, I, I still feel like it's it's not a simple solution. So I think no. So I think people sort of saying just do this. It's it's not like he's not thought of these kind of things. I don't think. I I agree with you, and this is why it's really difficult. United have to play Forest on Wednesday. They've got the derby. I don't think there's enough time to come up with a dramatically different tactical plan and maybe that's why he's persisting with with counterattacks because you'll probably win more games than you lose with this counterattacking system because due to the amount of money United have they tend to have better players than most teams in the league it only really becomes a problem when your better players are injured or the other team has better players so this is what you saw against Luton they just went we'll do the same thing Luton are doing we've got a 70 million pound striker so now we've got more goals than you you can't get you can't get in the Champions League doing this style of football I don't, th- I don't think. It made sense to do a transition-heavy style of football when Bruno Fernandes was in great form, when Marcus Rashford was in great form, and when Casemiro could cover ground. Very early in the season, when Brighton and Tottenham Hotspur are just playing around you, oppressed by making the centre-backs wider, he should have been more adaptable. And he persisted with this style of football that has got more chaotic and more rigid over time and and now we're just in we're just stuck how does this get better unless a better player comes off from the medical room well this is it i think ultimately and sorry i know we're going back and forth here but yeah <laughs> um i mean you look at and i'm not saying that he's like Mikel arteta or arsenal or, or even pep guardiola at city clearly not but those guys both struggled very early on in their careers at those clubs and you know Arteta out was was the big thing mm-hmm. after a couple of seasons, wasn't it? They'd lost the first three games of the season. Guardiola was being mocked because he didn't coach tackles, um, and both of those managers doubled down. They didn't sort of deviate. And and Tenag has compromised. You know he's obviously, you know you go back to that Liverpool game where De Gea went long rather than pass it out from the back. He he, he realizes in, in crucial moments that I think he needs to tweak things so that you know they are a little bit more resistant. But I think I agree with you, Carl. I think that actually he's probably just thought well. You know, if it's going to be end-to-end stuff, we've we've got better players generally. We can probably score more goals than the opposition. So this is perhaps my best form of defence to kind of just make it a little bit crazy, allow a bit more space so that we can then counter and, you know, hopefully score more goals. And I I totally accept the point that at the end of the season, Ineos will look at the situation and and evaluate everything. But I don't think it's as straightforward as saying, you know, Tenag's massively failing, Tenag out, let's get the next guy in. I want him to stay. I I want it to work out for him. I've seen evidence only this month with Cobby and Garnacho and Hoyland and even Rashford at, at times, although he's had a poor season, and thought, okay, I can see what's going to could work here with a couple more supplements, but it was a struggle. It was a, it was a, it was a bad result. And then you're moving forward, a huge cup game at Nottingham Forest, and there's a game at the weekend which we're all going to go, ugh. <laughs> Just disappointing. On, on Saturday, I had a... Lad coming to pick me up at the hotel. He was going to take me to the stadium in this game. 
He said, I'm coming at this time. I said, I've got to watch Man United, mate. He said, no, no, you, you, I've got to collect you. So we agreed on a time which was the 90th minute. So he turns up at my hotel. I'm watching the game on Arabic. I could out reception. Harry Maguire scores. Get in there. Hey, mate, nice to meet you for the first time in my life. Get in there. <laughs> Jump into his car. I said, I need to watch Man United. So he, this is how powerful the Premier League is. It's on live Tunisian TV. So I'm driving through the streets of Tunis, watching Man United on this fella's phone who I've only just met. <laughs> okay, that's where the um, the uprising started in 2011. Nice one. Go on, go on, Harry. And then he takes me to meet some of his colleagues and he's like, Andy, this guy. And I'm looking at these fantastic looking Tunisian men who are former international player, 62 appearances for his country. Hi, mate. Nice to meet Oh, come on. Oh, no. This is... Sorry, mate. Um, yeah, I'm here to write about the, the football game that I've, I've come to your country to watch. This guy is in charge of this and that. Hi, mate. Oh, drives you mad, doesn't it? Drives you mad, Manchester United. They drive you absolutely crazy. It's why we love football, but it's also why we hate football. And Fulham... Go and score the winner. Anyway, mate, I'm Andy. Nice to meet you. Sorry about the last 15 minutes. I wasn't expecting nine minutes of time added on, but obviously the rules have changed and, and here we are, mate. What's that statue over there, by the way? Oh, nice one. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, well, this was the point in the podcast where we were supposed to be talking about the renovation of Old Trafford, speaking about Andy's article on The Athletic where he's, well, he performed a complete U-turn, actually, from hoping that Manchester United renovated the existing stadium to now thinking that a new stadium is the way forward. But unfortunately, the three of them got very passionate about Ten Hag and the situation after that game against Fulham at the weekend. And we've not got time, but I promise you faithfully, we will talk in depth about the whole stadium stuff on a future podcast, including Andy's U-turn, because he doesn't often perform U-turns. Um, but we need to preview <laughs> Nottingham Forest. Right, were you there in 1990, Andy, when Mark Robbins scored that goal in the <laughs> FA Cup, which essentially saves for Alex Ferguson his job? I've not done a U-turn, but I'll leave that for one side. Um, Noah, Noah wasn't there, mate. Why? Uh, just that, obviously, it was a very memorable FA Cup tie away at Nottingham Forest. I, I mean, couldn't afford to go. I was earning £1.40 an hour working at Shoe Fair in Ermston, and I couldn't afford to go. And the, the boyfriend of the manager of the shoe shop, he showed me his ticket, stub, and I was so envious. And uh, I, I didn't go. I went to four of the games in that cup run that the year. I was 16 years old, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford to go, and I'm gutted that I, I didn't go. Well, I, I know why... 
you couldn't afford it as well. A bit of a, an explainer here. We did know this, that Andy wasn't there and he'd explained exactly why in the WhatsApp group, but he admitted that he'd not sold enough hosiery to get his bonus I can't believe. Money. So as well as me £1.40, they the said you can get 20% commission on any hosiery. Have I even said that right? I didn't even know what it was. Hosiery. Yeah. Hosiery. <laughs> right? That's like tights and stockings. I'm 16 years old. I'm... I'm being asked to sell stockings to me mum's mates who are coming in, <laughs> and, and of which if I sell a pair of tights, I'll get like 14p. This, this isn't a happy stage in my life. I want to be at Nottingham Forest away to see Mark Robbins, and instead I'm selling shoes for 12 quid and saying, and would you like some whatever hosiery is? I still don't even know to this day all these years later at Shoe Fair in Ermston with the manager on my case saying that, You've not been selling enough hosiery, hoisery. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I, d- I didn't go to Forest. Okay, we've established that then. Um, so I'll I'll ask it a different way, Carl. Who's going to be Eric Ten Hag's Mark Robbins? Garnacho. He's looking like the most likely player, isn't he? Yeah. Ten Hag was uh, very insistent that Garnacho did beat the goalkeeper and had a shot cleared off the line against Fulham. Something that I do like about Garnacho, especially in the second half of games, is despite his size, he does get you yards in those moments where he just sort of drags the team four or five yards up, makes it run, goes down, wins a free kick and whatnot. So he is a shining lights, perhaps too much. He's important and he will be important in this Forest game. I also think this might be a time for one of, this might be the Sofia Namra back game. If Casemiro still hurt, head, head is injured, like it's now or never, mate. Obviously United have already lost there this season as well, Laurie. And that was without Rasmus Hoyland, who, was injured for the league game at the, the end of December. What gives you the confidence that it, it might be different going to the city ground this week? Oh, uh, am I confident? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything can happen in FA Cup tie. United will have a bigger allocation than they did. Am I right in saying that, Andy? I don't know if you know the exact yeah. number than they did it in the league game. And, and, and usually United, you know, under Tenag do have this kind of response in them where they they flicker into life and I, and I did watch the highlights of Villa v Forest and Forest were, were pretty open so that was a game yeah. where clearly Villa went for them they were also open at the back themselves but they ended up winning 4-2 so and they were they had more chances than that as well so you know if, if uh, uh, Nuno persists in playing a centre-back at left-back like Eric Ten Hag is doing then maybe Garnacho will have a bit of a, a better run if he's on the right. If he plays um, on the right, yeah. Yeah, uh, which again, which was, I mean, we were debating this, weren't we, in the WhatsApp group before kickoff because we, we, we knew that Forson was going to start, you know, if we can give ourselves a little bit of a hat tip on the um, the night previous that we, we got the word that Forson was, was going to start. And I have to give a, a credit actually to Academy Scoop, this um, Twitter account that, that, that nailed that first, actually. But we were sort of wind. I was told that he was sort of predominantly on the left, Forson, and that Rashford was probably going to start up top. But we thought, why would you shift Rashford out from the left? And Garnacho's been doing well on the right. So maybe that's still to be worked out. Although as the game progressed, Forson did appear at centre forward at times, didn't he? Just in a kind of natural rotation. Do you know, in the first half, Ten Hag, because he, he's obviously just in front of us where, where I sit on a, a match day for the pitch side stuff, he, he kept telling him about pushing inside, you know, and it, it was filling the lad's head, you know, in those first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes because he wasn't in quite the right position. And he was and he was telling him, keep pushing in. And I just thought... Right, that's interesting. Yeah, and I just thought that you was... got too much? Well, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea how 
sort of technically and tactically adapt to Mari Forsen is, but I just thought a young lad like that making his debut, it's his first ever senior start. Clearly, they've got to have specific roles and they've got to have information that they take on and 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 play with because obviously there's a, it's a full tactical picture. It's not just about the one player. But yeah, I did I did wonder at the time about how much you should free up a young lad like that making his debut rather than than giving him this really specific. Uh, info that obviously you you're going to really press home by then telling him in game what to do as well. And I'm told his best work is done in that kind of inside channel. So whether it was just Tenar giving him the license, giving him the encouragement to go in there rather yeah. than have to stick out wide, I don't know. But I agree with you. It must be a delicate balance, right? And that, but I do remember, you know, back during the lockdown days where you had Kieran McKenna um, on the on the touchline screaming at the the different forwards um, to kind of press in different ways. You know, he really was sort of on top of them to try and instruct them. So, but it is you're right. If, if it's his debut. I I guess you think you'd hope that Tenag knows how to draw a response out of him. You know, we remember him from pre-season, didn't we? Where he, he subbed him at sort of 37 minutes in the Dortmund uh, friendly in Las Vegas because he lost his head a bit, and Tenag then had a sort of word with him on the touchline in front of everybody to kind of make that point to him. So maybe he feels that he's that kind of character that can respond to kind of you know direct. Um, well, dialogue. he's backing him as well, isn't he? I mean, he's starting him ahead of Ahmad, who uh, you know is championed a lot by Manchester United fans. He's starting him against a, a very expensive player in Anthony, who obviously he brought in as well. There's, there's no question, Carl, that there's proper support for Amari Force. And he was a, a hugely surprising name in that starting eleven. but that's because Ten Hag wanted to do it. He, he obviously thought that he was more suited to that match than the other players he had on the bench. Absolutely. He was asked about Anthony after the result and he said, you know, Anthony's not quite at the right place. He said he believes Amad is training very well. He believes Forsen is a legitimate option as well. You know, it was Anthony's birthday on Saturday. And, he still uh, would have had a party. I can guarantee you that. There's no way he's cancelling <laughs> his party. No uh, chance. Well, he, he came uh, on at left back in the end, didn't he? Am I right in yeah, saying that? He yeah, looked he like did. he was left. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tanag said Anthony needs to step up his level. So, Which actually is not a thing to mention in passing because even when he was struggling earlier parts of this season if not last season he was hugely backed by Ten Hag there was certainly nothing like that coming out of his mouth it's an interesting one I watched that United game and I went oh, it's a real shame X and Y and Z aren't available I watched that 96 minutes and no point did I go Anthony would change this that's me being you can say that's a very mean opinion there and Ten Hag will say his options are, are limited by the injuries I do also feel he wouldn't be as limited in his options if he hadn't opted for certain players in the summer transfer windows, plural, then then these, you know, it, again, you, you're looking at, no one could have foreseen Mason Mount would spend this much of this season injured. However, when Mason Mount was being linked to Manchester United, I think we're all on this podcast with a raised eyebrow going, is Mason Mount the player they need right now? But it is interesting. I'm, I'm sure Anthony Elanger is looking forward to the return of Manchester United again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on, won't it? Andy won't be singing his song this time. There's no question about that. What does he do for this game, Andy? Do you, do you see him making huge changes to what the set was against Fulham? It's unlikely he's going to have anyone back fit for the game, certainly. Don't lose. Yeah. A draw. Forest, Forest have drawn both of their FA Cup ties so far. They've, they went to replays against Blackpool, Bristol City. Well, we can't draw. It's got to go out. There's no replays. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's penalties, if not. You got the FA Cup, the mood will just... It will slump. It's it's Manchester United's only chance of winning a trophy this season. If Eric Tenard can win it, 
be a huge deal. Forest in the league was probably the low point of this of this season. I wrote my strongest article criticising what was going on after that game. Forest have won one of the six league games since yeah. then. So th- th- this this isn't a top no. Forest team. No. Not mentioned that yet. Andy, to be clear, yeah. the way you're talking makes it sound as if you absolutely want Manchester United to win this game against Forest. You want United to make get a cup run for as long as possible. That In your mind, yeah. a cup run helps United improve in their league as well. Yeah, Laurie, prioritise the cup. Don't mind losing the cup so you can focus on the league. Where do you stand right now? Yeah, you have to win in the cup, don't you? Because I think just otherwise, the, the mood darkens, the, mm. the pressure on Tenag increases. I mean, he, he is presenting a very strong front, isn't he? he when we're... When we ask him about the Ineos situation, he says, I'm very aligned with them. I've had conversations with them. you know. And, and what Ratcliffe said in that piece was about the environment, wasn't it, that a manager's been working in. So he, yeah. they, they all seem to be on the same page there. It's just ultimately the question will come, are you the best guy for us to, to lead us forward? You know, I, I I would say still say yes when you look at the other options out there. But, um, but So I do think that the FA Cup is, you, you can't just toss it away because... It's wins, you know, create a positive mood and positive feel that can that can seep into the Premier League. So yeah, I don't, I don't think we're at a point where United need to be um, sort of losing games to kind of keep them fresh for the Premier League. What do you think, Carl? No, I I absolutely think United need to win the FA Cup. I think if if you have two negative results, yeah, between now and exactly next Monday, about to say. things will be very bleak and the clouds will be here and we'll be using the C word again. Um, Crisis. I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> 1990, I know everyone goes back to it. I know there are similarities, not least because the team get kept getting drawn away from home that year, as, as has happened um, this year. But it was a point of inflection, and it, and it could be this year. I still won't fancy Manchester United's chances in an, another final against Manchester City. Is City still in it? I've, I've stopped paying attention to them. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Well, there we go. Um Oh, you've got to win. You, football's about it's glory, glory, Man United. It's about trophies. It's, it's about trips to Wembley. This season finish with a, a victory at Wembley, then the season ends with a smile and go on, Eric. Do your stuff over the summer and away we go. If it doesn't, then you have the end of season drift that you had in the first Ferguson years, where attendances were falling right down because you've got nothing to play for. Yeah, and that's my worry. Okay, it feels like a very important week, doesn't it? Again. For Manchester United, it's incredible what one result can do to completely change the mood and change the tone of this podcast as well. But thank you, as always, for being with us. Thank you, Carl, Andy and Laurie as well. If you want to have a say on anything that we've talked about, you want to ask questions to the boys as well, remember the email address, devilspod at theathletic.com. But again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one after Forest. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.